Welcome to another podcast. I'm Scott Nutter, and this is my conversation with Jeremy Keeler. We start off the first couple of minutes in a higher quality, uh, anchor-hosted conversation. But I was unable to hear him on some of the things. It cut out, but it recorded him. It just wouldn't let me hear what he had to say, so it was hard for me to respond very well. So I edited that a little bit, and I got about a minute and a half of that, and then we switched over to... Um, the other app that I have where uh, it's a three-way call and the third party records both phone conversations. It's markedly reduced in quality, but it's reliable. We start off talking about the oil industry and we talk about a lot of other things, including real estate and the a philosophy and, and money and all that stuff. It's uh, originally an hour and a half, but I cut the last 25 minutes off and I'm going to put that on a separate podcast and this one's 45 minutes long i hope you enjoy here we go all right so you're saying what about what about these grifting oil uh companies that are all manipulating the uh the entire world oil supply in america well what i was talking about was how uh, people are so short-sighted and not very intelligent and how the united states only makes up about a fifth of the world oil production and uh, yeah. our oil companies are private, private sector, private owned, and the rest of the world's oil companies here in Russia and Venezuela, you know, your Sitco's and all that, those are all state owned. Those are owned by other economies. When you have, and, oh, and uh, of course Saudi Arabia and OPEC, OPEC Plus, all that stuff, uh, you have the United States companies are actually going up against nations, entire nations. So it's basically like a world petroleum war. Um, <clears throat> and when prices see most people think that prices are set by the oil companies and they're and in fact they're actually more set by the uh the market and your purchaser and your speculators that buy you know futures contracts and all that stuff which is why you know last year i believe it was last april you had your futures contract actually went negative for the first time in history uh that was not the oil companies deciding to uh give their oil away <laughs> that was yeah, the market yeah. Responding to the whole globe being shut down. You mean and, they uh, weren't you, they weren't feeling the spirit of altruism and saying, you know what, let's give the entire world a break and give away our oil for five dollars a barrel. No, they weren't. And and in in on in the same in the same thought though, they're also not gouging people either when the oil goes up because they don't have any control over that. If, if Exxon wanted to charge $140 for a barrel of its oil, no one would buy it right now. There's a primary difference between Republican thinking or the uh, Austrian economics camp and the Keynesian or left-wing thinking of, of economics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Keynesian thought is short-term, you know, uh, in fact, Keynes says in the long term, we're all dead. So who cares about that, right? And so these people only think on step one. Like, okay, well, people aren't getting paid enough. Step one, raise their wages, pass a law. There we go. We're done. Don't look at anything else. Don't think about anything else. A plus B equals C, that's it. They don't look any further than that. In uh, the difference between Austrian economics is the hidden cost of things. I was just talking about this on uh, Tom Woods' show. A guy uh, wrote a, a book, I forgot what it's called, but um, and he's just rewriting what has been written off over the years. But Thomas Sowell really was the one that introduced this. Like, he, he wrote a book called Thinking Past Stage One, right? Um, and that's what the Austrians like, okay, well, there are opportunity costs. If you do this, you're not doing that or it's going to have all these other side effects. And you have to actually look at the other consequences of these actions, right? Okay, you raise wages, some people will get a raise, but other people will not have a job, not be able to get a job. Uh, you do uh, the time and a half mandate, and okay, some people are gonna get time and a half. I, I did as Stevens Tanker, but it doesn't really matter because they're going to readjust my wages down um, because I'm way above minimum wage. They're just going to re- readjust it to factor in time and a half. And so if I 
take uh, a day off, I'm actually, uh, during the week, I'm actually losing a day and a half worth of pay. So it actually hurts me to not work because of the built-in wage uh, structure. Um, and and so uh, that's that's a primary difference between these people. I I don't think the the part where um, they think oh inflation is good that's just rational r rationalizing something that they have no control over or they think is transitory. I mean that that's not an economics lesson. That is just propaganda from a media corporation. Yeah. Oh, they they have they have no idea what they're talking about. You know, they talk about <laughs> inflation. You know, as long as you're running on a fiat fiat style currency, you're always going to have some level of inflation. And the reason why we're seeing uh, it's high inflation now is because you had the Federal Reserve uh, pump in. I want to say it's like six and a half trillion dollars from. The uh, beginning of 2020 to right about now, about six and a half trillion, uh, which is more money uh, was created, I think, in the last 18 months than has been created in the previous uh, 40 years for them. So you can't you can't release all of those quote unquote dollars, which in this case not even paper dollars, to just euros that exist on a you know in, in a hard drive somewhere. Uh, you can't release all that in there without devaluing your currency. Now, last year when uh, Trump was, you know, and Congress was getting together and they were doing their stimulus plans and all that, I remember talking to my wife and going, man, I don't understand why inflation isn't higher. And I really was kind of sitting there kind of questioning what I what I knew about inflation. I was like, maybe I'm I'm, I'm not seeing something. Maybe I'm missing something. I kind of rehashed. right? No, 2020. It was 2020. Oh, it was last year. 2020? Oh, yeah, okay. it was 2020. Yeah, it takes 18 off. months for inflation to kick in. Well, that's about <laughs> right because that's about when it when it kicked in. But I I didn't I didn't know that. I I thought it would go a lot faster, but apparently it takes a little bit longer. So I was I was going maybe 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 I'm mistaken. I mean, my wife, you can ask her. She was like, yeah, I was sitting there at the table. And I'd kind of be like staring off into the you know into the you know into the wall. She'd be like, what are you thinking about? I was like, I don't really feel like inflation has skyrocketing. We got all this money getting pumped in and nothing's happening, you know? Well, I was just off I was just off by about a year is all it was. Yeah, you should ask me. Milton Friedman talked about that uh, a long time ago. Um he, he said, Yeah, it usually takes about eighteen months, twelve to eighteen months for uh the Federal Reserve's actions to really filter into the economy because it has the ripple effect and and that's that's what he said. Well, uh, and, and and the 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 world, especially the United States, especially the world, has gotten very very hooked on that sweet cheap money, right? That the Federal oh, Reserve and the right. yeah, the central yeah. bankers have been put pumping out. And uh, the so the 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 central bankers have gotten themselves into a bit of a pickle because the the only the only means that they have of controlling inflation is to raise interest rates, right? But any time the Federal Reserve meets, they don't even have to say anything. They just get together. The market panics if they think they're going to raise interest rates. And you'll see the market take a nosedive. In fact, it, it happened, um, I think, at the end of, end of October. They got together and they're like, yeah, they had a meeting of Federal Reserve, and then they decided to, to not raise rates right away. They said they were going to quit the quantitative easing. And the purchasing of government, they were going to roll back the purchasing of government bonds, and the market kind of interpreted that as like, okay, well, there's a day of reckoning coming, but uh, it'll be next year. And so they kind of chilled out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so anytime you have that fiat currency, and then you're going to have inflation. But the problem is, is that the government, uh, by going into debt and by issuing bonds that the Federal Reserve buys, they they are now trying to solve the problem that they created. No, there's no raising interest rates. It's it's almost impossible. I know. It's checkmate, as far as I can tell, right? But they did during um, uh, Trump's time, and Trump screamed and hollered, and he squealed like a pig, you know? Well, even then, even then, they didn't raise the rates that high. We're talking like 
Did they even go over half, 50 basis points? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think they they did exactly that. You know, they, they okay. did two, okay. two quarter point raises, and and you know, and, my he's my buddy, but uh, Trump is. You know, he's operating not on economics per se. He's operating on the, the, the political level. That's that's why he was making that problem because he's also a politician, sure. and uh, uh, you know, he can't get blamed for it. So he it was a good place to go because. He can't lose, right? Uh, he can squeal and all that stuff. And if nothing happens, everybody can forget about him, you know, squealing, except for MSNBC. They could bring it up if they want to, but it doesn't matter what he does. They're going to bring stuff up anyway. But his base is going to ignore that, forget about it, and continue on. Everything's honky-dory. If something mm-hmm. does crashes, he can blame uh, J- Jerome Powell. And yeah. so he's, he's safe either way. It's, not, it's, it's the safe move. But the thing is, is uh, inflation can be mitigated if you have enough growth to absorb that inflation, right? Right. Because if you don't have enough inflation, you have a lot of growth, you're going to have deflation, which we almost never do, but because we're constantly adding more. There's got to be a a point at which, well, there's an equalization, right? If you lower interest rates, the financial market is going to expand, all things being equal, all things aren't equal because the economy is adjusting. Um, you know, they're, they're, well, especially now with supply shortages and stuff like that. There's different things going on, um, different events that, you know. But um, let me take a breath here. <laughs> I'm yeah, I know you get going. You're like, huh? <laughs> now I, yeah, it. The problem is, is they keep getting their fingers and stuff, and they quote unquote they're trying to fix it, and they always end up making it worse, and then they got to put a patch on top of the patch on top of the patch, you know. Adding money isn't a guarantee that prices at the pump and all this other stuff is going to go up. Adding money, you know, price inflation is a side effect. Inflation itself is an expanding of the money supply, and that can manifest itself well okay those are coupled though not always well okay they are but not necessarily consumer prices well okay uh well yes they are in this case well yeah yeah okay so but okay but back in 2010 or 11 12 when they're they're pumping in you know qe1 qe2 qe3 we're all like oh my goodness we're gonna have inflation everywhere well we didn't see as much at the you know, it wasn't as noticeable as it is now when it came to Walmart and these other places, sorry. But it was noticeable in the bond market because they were lowering interest rates. Uh, that was expanding the bond market. It was manifesting itself in the stock market. That was going up even before Trump got into office. It kind of accelerated after that because of the underlying economics of uh, reduced regulation and tax cuts and all that stuff, or the even the anticipation. He hadn't even done anything, and the stock market started ramping up, accelerating before mm-hmm. it. So that, that inflation started going there. Home prices, especially in the last two years, home prices have just exploded. Um, and that – so the inflation has – been here the whole time it just hasn't manifested itself until now um, uh, because of the, well there's a supply shortage and stuff like that so they they're able politically to point to supply shortages and stuff because that is a, a factor but the fact is is we have a lot of extra money and they they have been doling out I mean it just so happens last year that they they sent out how many checks two and then one at the beginning of this year uh, you know, trillions, what, what was yeah. it? hundreds of I, billions of dollars, and now, uh, yeah. and now that has eighteen months later, uh, is manifesting itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, I, if, if they would just, well, also on the other, on the other, on the other side of it, you've got the uh, the lockdowns, and you've got the businesses getting shut down because of you know now they got this new whatever it's called, um, uh, 
I can't remember what they some uh, um, Omicron or Omicron variant or whatever. Like, like I said earlier, like it sounds a like a transformer. Yeah, it's a transformer. Yeah, it's like oh shoot, Omicron and Decepticons are here. No, uh, so I mean, <laughs> which they've been they've been effing that up too spectacularly. So um, I I think that the way to if you want to improve the economy. You need to let the economy absorb the almost $7 trillion you pumped in, and eventually stuff will start to cool off because that money will find its way into fixed assets like cryptocurrency or housing or commercial properties or or art or gold or whatever, and uh, things will stabilize. But what is is Biden wanting to propose? The, The Build Back Better bill. Three, he, yeah. you know, I don't know what it is now, but it was at the beginning. Three point five trillion dollars in more spending, and then he had the uh, the infrastructure Which bill. Is, by One, the way, seventy five percent of the annual budget of the United States federal government, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so now you're it. piling on more cash onto more cash. Further accelerating the the devaluation and, and in turn causing consumer uh, price inflation. So, yeah, th- this is what happens when you have people running the government that have never had a job before. I don't, if I'm not mistaken, Joe Biden has never had a job in the private sector. Never. No, imagine he's that. A, he's been a politician. <clears throat> he's been a pol- He's either been a, a student, uh, a, a government lawyer, or a politician. For the last like fifty or sixty years. Well, I, okay, and I, I I don't like the idea that you uh, that somebody can't understand something unless they're actually in there. I mean, obviously, like in our discussion on Facebook, I you know me playing the part of a troll. I pointed to my oil field experience as supporting evidence that I know something about oil. Well, that's I was counter, I was counter I was counter trolling too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So it was just like, okay, obviously that has nothing to do with it. And this my other friend out there is backing me up and stuff like yeah, that. There's a lot yeah. of people that work in the oil field have no clue about economics, so that has yeah. nothing to do with it. But it was fun. I'm mean, like, and but you know, reading 30 books on economics. And granted, it's been mostly right to center, not too much left stuff, probably tapping into the left with uh, The Economist and stuff like that. Um, but really, uh, you know, I've, I've heard their arguments and stuff. But, uh, you know, having that knowledge, that's what I base my education on. I call it an equivalent of a, a degree in economics. I wouldn't mm. say a doctorate at all. No. <laughs> uh, it's, it's more of a... I, uh, as a, what's the, what's the two-year degree, a bachelor's? Yeah, well, I, I, it'd be more like a four-year degree. You know? Oh, okay, okay. Because well, literally, I've been studying economics for 10 years. Your 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 degrees are about like uh, uh, monetary policy at the Federal Reserve. You, just keep <laughs> you can make them whatever you want and whatever you I, need. And I think I'll take a four-year degree. I've got my uh, my doctorate in MM, MMT, you know, yeah. modern monetary theory. Yeah. Um, but really, I, I I think somebody can, you know, we're in the information age. You don't really need a degree to understand something. Peter Schiff is basically an economist. He doesn't have any degree in economics. You can argue that people, if they get the wrong kind of education, actually having a degree can hurt them. Well, the truth is you can have all kinds of great philosophical arguments and be wrong. Yeah. You know, uh, you'd be right in theory, but wrong in practice. You have to put things into practice to really find out if they were. Adam Smith, you know, was a philosopher, but he went on the ground and he made observations and he wrote about them. I just started his book, by the way, after 10, 12 years of my education in economics. My dad's like, you haven't read uh 
The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. I mean, how can you even call yourself an economist? I'm like, well, Dad, it hasn't really been available on Audible. Until now, it's available, and I'm, I just started it. And the one quote that everybody quotes is right in the first chapter. I wonder if they even read the whole thing because it's like 38 oh, no. hours worth. of. And so it's like everybody's – the one quote I hear everybody quote is in the first chapter or second chapter right at the beginning. I'm like, oh, okay, where, where he says uh, it's not because of the Ben uh, – the altruism, he's a different word, of the baker that he uh, bakes his goods. It's because he wants to exchange them for other goods, you know, uh, for mm-hmm. money and whatever. You know. What, what was – who – Adam Smith, was he a uh, – well, okay, so I've heard the name, but I don't really don't know that much about him. Is he uh, – uh, was he modern era or is he like from a long time ago? way back. So he published Wealth of Nations in 1776. The founding oh, fathers okay. probably, okay. you know, definitely read his work. Was he was um, he more along the Austrian bent then? There, there was no school of economics. He was the first one. Um, he was the well, first one. He to may, write about there was economics. there was. Mm, no, that's not there true. wasn't the philosophy of the dismal science before that. He was the first writer that wrote. It, it was called the a philosophy mm-hmm. of commerce or something like that. It, you know they. Uh, right, but, uh, but today would he? What would he be considered? Would he be considered? Oh, definitely Canadian? Austrian. Okay, Austrian, for sure. Um, yeah. Have you read anything by Karl Menger? No, it doesn't sound familiar. Uh, yeah, he's another uh, very well-known um, uh, economist. Uh, no, he was and the what, first one. There, the, okay, so there's uh, the big three by. Uh, Man, I forgot the author's name. I actually met him. He was actually then, on the Tom Woods. And then the 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 best. What's that guy's name? Bastille. Uh, Bastille. Bastille. There you go. Yeah, something along that. So I have a stack of books on my desk. Of, I got about probably seven or eight of these books. The theory, the theory of the origin of money, which I believe was from uh, Carl, Carl Menger. Um, the Law, which is the Bastille. And, uh, man, I, you know, that's on top of all the stuff that I listen to, all the audiobooks. So I decided about a week or two ago, I was like, you know what, I'm going to finish Creature from Jekyll Island. I'm about 430 pages into this sucker. I'll, I've been picking away. I'll read like 10 or 20 pages, and I'll put it down. I'll read about 10 or 20 pages. I said, I'm finishing this book by the end of the year, so help me, Lord. Yeah, yeah. So, well, because so, it's a big ass book, and I want to just kind of clear it off my desk and kind of put it on my shelf. But um, is it hard to listen to? You can't listen to it. It's not. It's not an audio. So oh, you have okay. to read it. So it's yes. is it hard to read, or no, it's not. It really isn't. The problem is, is the getting the the time to sit there and you know read. It's it's, it's like it's almost six hundred pages. About eight, seventy or five of those pages are uh, reference notes, though. So it's probably about five hundred and twenty-five, five hundred and thirty-five pages. So it's a, it's a history of the Federal Reserve. It was written in the nineties, I think. And uh, it's it's uh, interesting because you get you get into this book and you're like, oh man! First you get pissed off, but you're reading about the Federal Reserve, and and then you start to really have more of an understanding of what the you know what they sink their teeth into and where it came from and the original version, like the Bank of the United States. Uh, which was another uh, a central bank that went bankrupt back in the 1880s. Jackson killed it, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think I yeah, that's right. I think so. Yeah, they dechartered it or whatever. Anyways, if all the Federal Reserve was just another version of that, you know. He did that but, in his second term, and I wonder if Trump. Yeah, Trump's been like a Jacksonite, right? In in many ways, he's he's a lot of people of Jackson. I don't think. I don't He's think he's not going to get rid get, of the Federal Reserve. He can't. So. He can't now. If, if you if you were if you were the president of the United States and you brought in a cabinet and you were, you know, you're full on Rand Paul or Ron Paul, you're like let's let's get rid of the reserve. There would be a bullet, an assassin's bullet would find your head. Ooh. Well. I. I yeah. Because you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about you're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And and that they, if they brought that system down, I mean, <laughs> that'd be bad times. But that was well. Uh, there needs to be an avenue in which we don't have a monopoly on on money. That it is just too much power, especially when it's the world reserve currency, and the United, one country controls it. 
I, I don't care what country it is. That's too much power. There needs to well, be. Well, um, I mean, China's, China's trying to move away from it, you know. Of course, they devalued oh, yeah. their currency to compete with ours. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a hard thing because if you have a strong if you have a strong currency, it's, it really helps the poor, right? Because if you have a strong currency, by, by default, it will become the currency of the world. Remember, the pound sterling was uh, the, uh, the, the currency of choice before the American dollar. And before the pound sterling, you had the, the Spanish lira, Spain. You know, you're going, you're going back to like the 1600s, the 1500s. Uh, so, I mean, it, it generally, you know, these things will hold for like two or 300 years, and then another country moves in, and, you know, their currency's stronger, and everyone defaults to that currency. Yeah. Uh, well, Bit, Bitcoin, there needs to be an avenue to be able to have a medium of exchange that, you know, is not centrally controlled and, and manipulated and diluted, you know? It's like... You know, at some point, you know, you just need, I mean, okay, what they say, all right, well, with the, the depression and stuff, you know, prices were falling, right? And somehow that spiraled into the Great Depression, right? That's what they say. Well, it was, it, it was a malfunction of the Federal Reserve for not giving up the, the gold and, and like they they were supposed to. There's a technical thing around that. But the, the, the thing is that they devalue the money. And what people don't understand, because because they go to the Federal Reserve, how are you going to help the black population, huh? How are you going to help them? As if the Federal Reserve has any, you know, racial targeting that they can do, uh, which is a complete misunderstanding of all that. But they could, they could really help the the poor, you know, of all races, if uh, if they allowed the the currency to slowly. Um, well, we're kind of a debt nation now, so everybody that has debt would be harmed by this. But the point is, is like anybody who just saved their money, if their money was worth 2% more instead of 2% less every year, they could just put it in the bank and they would be winners, you know? It would um, be, but uh, that would also slow um, economic growth. Not necessarily, because, because you could still borrow money. That's you know, true. That's you true. Put it and in the banks bank can the, bank the banks can still lend it. You know. Yeah, the fractional yeah. reserve, but because of this thing, I mean, people need to save anyway, even if there is two, three percent inflation. Because at a certain point, you know, three months worth of income, you need to have cash and three percent. How, how many people? Just serious question here. How many people do you think not cannot grasp the concept of spending less than they earn? It is like, I think we, and I've, look, I have made all the mistakes anybody else has made, I, you know, as, as smart as I think I am or whatever, or I have, or, you know, I wish I was, I have made the financial of relying on a credit card to bail me out. Well, that's great if you can just walk right back into, you know, great, strong financial position the next month, but that's not always a reality so if you're going to use the credit card as well this is my backup in case i i uh can't pay my bills i'll just run up my credit card it's 20 percent interest rate two percent a month you know it's like that is a horrible backup plan that is the worst backup plan ever but people get these credit cards they pay them off and then they they rely on them so a partial good thing that is happening, especially with Gen Z and Gen uh, Millennials, <clears throat> is that they have the um, uh, these uh, investing things, you know. So yeah, but that's just that just routes it all back to like the stock market, the the bankers. It, yes, but it does get people <clears throat> to save in order to invest. <clears throat> people. People need to really understand that they need, they should put their money into things that can uh, grow. You know, like um, you know, like we're we're talking in the last few weeks. You've been talking about purchasing investment properties. You know, that you're taking your your money and you're leveraging it and you're purchasing a cash a cash flowing asset. You know, that will continue to grow in value 
and the debt will on it will slowly but surely drop over time. I was having a discussion with my, uh, I guess he would be my son-in-law. I guess I don't know. That's kind of weird to say that. But he uh, he married my stepdaughter, and uh, he is twenty nine, maybe twenty eight, twenty nine. He's a little bit older than she is, and uh, he's starting to have this awakening. You know that awakening that every, every most young men have. They generally they're in their late twenties or their early thirties when they kind of this little bubble pops and they start to realize, oh crap, I got to get my my crap together because. You know, in 10 years, I'm going to snap my finger and I'll be in my mid-40s and my early 40s and I'm not going to have anything. I don't have anything. I don't, I don't, there's nothing tangible here. And then they start looking around and they're trying to, they're searching for the truth. They're like, what is the truth? Should I put my money in under the mattress? Should I put my money in a 401k? You know, should I, should I buy gold? Should I buy Bitcoin? You know, and uh, so he's kind of going through that. I mean, he, that last I mean, year. That's great. That's earlier than I was able to. I mean. When I was, what, uh, 27, 28, we had the Great Recession, 26, I think. And by the time I was 28, 29, Michigan was just starting to get out of the Great Recession themselves. Uh, Their unemployment on the books was still double digits in my area, Uh, even though effectively it had uh, right towards the end of when, before we moved I mean, they were handing out overtime left and right. It was, it, there's no way it was uh, double-digit unemployment in that uh, department. But when I had checked it out, it was. Um, but that's why um, the Dave Ramsey method for for starters is a great <clears throat> place to start because you're you're building a defensive fortress financially. You get your three to six months. Uh, you pay off your toxic debt, you know, at least the toxic debt, uh, like uh, high interest rate loans and stuff like that. And then from there, you can start leveraging. But you have to have something to leverage against. You can't just have no nothing, you know, uh, all leverage and, and no substance. You're just right. going to end up uh, falling apart because you can't build a house of cards. Technically, you got these guys up there like, oh, you know, no, no. And no money down uh, investing in properties and stuff. Well, uh, Dave Ramsey did that. And, you know, he was in his 20s and he he had to go bankrupt. And he's like, well, he went completely opposite direction. And he says, nah, well, okay. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know exactly what Dave Ramsey did. I know he kind of glosses over, oh, I did that. It's stupid. You know, that's why you shouldn't do it. Like, well, you know, I don't know what that guy did. He might have made a ton of mistakes. You know how many people I've talked to that go, um, you know, uh, invest, ha, being a, a landlord is, is a stupid idea because, you know, they're going to tear up your property. And I knew a guy and he yeah. tore up this guy's property. And it's like, well, man, maybe you did it wrong, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't know what Dave's, you know, I don't know. I don't know. If he, has he ever gone into detail exactly what he did wrong? He's gone into some. and uh, Okay. I'm not saying that um, it, there's two things going in my head, right? One is, all right, he has a specific uh, business model, right? Mm-hmm. And his business model is to reach the most amount of people, right? Mm-hmm. He's not trying to reach the top 1% smartest people in the, in the United States. He's trying to build a system that works for just about everybody. You know, and I think Dave will also he has our actually both Dave and Robert Kiyosaki have both admitted uh, both of these things. One, most people should listen to Dave Ramsey. And two, some of y'all don't really need to because you're the top one percenters and there are some people that can leverage and there are people that can can, you know, use credit cards responsibly, responsibly. statistically, that's 1% of the population. Is it really? It's only 1%? Yeah, that's what they say. That's what they said. I guess, I guess I've discovered what the 1% do. And I've just recently in the last like handful of years started to put it into practice. So I'm kind of playing the long game. So, you know, by no stretch of the imagination, would I consider myself well off or wealthy? I mean, if, if things go catastrophic tomorrow, I mean, uh, it would take a few months 
or I could I would legitly feel it. But I mean, if you, if we had a really really bad year, uh, I don't know, I might be in trouble. But you know, of course, of course, five years ago, if we if I had a bad year, if I had a bad two months five years ago, I was in trouble. So I guess in that perspective, uh, my my status or my situation has improved over time. But uh, I I just got almost you know, for lack of a better term, religious about it and just started, what are these people doing that have money? What are they doing? That What What do they know that I don't know? You know, that, that's kind of been my quest. Well, the truth is, is you can't, you can't plan your finances based on the apocalypse, okay? Because mm. when the apocalypse happens, all bets are off, right? So you can't center your entire program, whether you're Robert Kiyosaki or you're Dave Ramsey, you know, last year, Dave Ramsey was under a lot of stress. He, he, he was? Says that, yeah, he he said this. And, you know, even though he's Why? because like because uh, he wasn't going to accept the PPE or whatever that thing was, and uh, he had to pay into his employees. So he went to work every day. He gained like 40 pounds. He says, I got really fat and I undisciplined and I just worked a lot and I ate a lot. That's just the way. Dave Ramsey last year? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hear that. So, you know, there was, you know, it wasn't like he was sitting there like, oh, you know, you all are participating in the recession and I'm not going to participate kind of like uh, the radio talk show Rush Limbaugh did. He's like, well, I'm just not participating. Well, he didn't have 300 employees. Uh, that he had to pay. He might have had five, and it's a radio show. So. Well, I don't think that he was saying that he didn't feel it. I think what he was saying is he was mentally putting himself. Of course, there, this pandemic thing was different than we've ever, anything we've seen in our lifetime. But I think what, what Rush was saying was he didn't choose to feel sorry for himself. He was just going to do whatever it took to survive, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But – a little context on it was on the, the mentality of... thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the truth is, is that you know, uh, there was a there was a thing. You know, even Dave Ramsey, the guy who paid three hundred million dollars in cash for a building, yeah. I, you know, say what you will, that's quite a fiat. You know, I'm not three, thinking, wait, oh, that can't be right. No, three hundred million dollars. Look it up. The uh, the dollar car that's, that's, rental that's, studios. That's he like bought the building. Or something? I don't know. I tried to look it up. It's it's a big building. Dollar car company. rental? I don't think that's probably what it's called. No, he comes live from the dollar car rental studio. Uh, Dave This is a spectacular pod right here. Dave yeah. Ramsey. Uh, well, the econ and... nerd population is definitely going to eat this up. I don't know uh, where they are, but. <laughs> Ramsey Solutions Headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, Ramsey Solution. Hold on. Ramsey Solution. New building. Uh, I'm listening to radio show. I'm not. I'm not making it up. He paid three hundred. It was like uh, two years ago, I think. The first right building was a 223 square foot office space with up to a thousand workers opened its doors last year. Ramsey Solution topped out its second building at 192,000 square feet with room for up to 600 employees in August and is aiming to complete the project by May of 2021. Uh, how much did the new Ramsey Solutions building cost? The six-story designed by Nashville-based architects will be completed at a construction cost of nearly $40 million by Solomon Brothers. Well, he paid $300 million for a building somewhere. I mean, that's, that's crazy, but that's stupid. Why would you sink all your money into that building? How 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 much money? How much would that three hundred million dollars have come in handy when he's sitting there trying to worry about paying the employees and not well, taking the PPP loan? Maybe he should have thought of that before the pandemic happened, but I I don't know. But he well, you know, if you read uh, "Becoming Your Own Banker" by Nelson Nash, what he says and it's true is the number one problem that most people will face in their lifetime is access to capital, access to access to cash, or access to uh, something they can leverage against. Now, yeah. I guess he could have taken that building 
and gotten a, a note on it, but that would go against his principle, right? Right, right. That's definitely right. against <laughs> his practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he took uh, all the money in the bank and he put it in there. He must. No, have but three hundred, dude. That's over a quarter billion dollars. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of damn good money. Well, it could be that you know maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's thirty million. Maybe that's the the number he actually. Well, even if it's thirty million, that's a, that's a lot. That's a big, that's a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. Well, that's but that's okay. So his strategy is: look, you're you're the tortoise, and eventually, once you've like, see, that's that's the struggle I have. I I haven't fully bought into the idea because my our next house is going to be four hundred thousand dollars. How long is it going to take me to 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 save up four hundred thousand dollars? Ten years. Yeah. Easily. Oh, it's gonna take you longer than that. Are you are you able to put away forty grand a year right now? No, but you don't you don't save it up. You invest it in the stock market. Well, yeah, but but, but what if the okay? So what if the stock market's down for a couple of years? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. So you're you're still uh, yeah at least ten years, right? Well, I mean, by then we're close to fifty. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, you know, so yeah, I'm definitely going to leverage. Well, I've got the VA benefits, and and he's actually, you know, so I'm buying in because what I was doing wasn't working. So running a budget has definitely helped us make a lot faster pro- progress. That mm-hmm. is definitely uh, absolute, right? As for the financial, you got to think of Ramsey in in context, right? Uh, the problem is, is people that, you know, he's built this thing for people that are the, uh, you know, it, you don't have to be a smart person to follow it. The problem is, is a lot of dumb people don't realize they're dumb. And I could be one of them. I wouldn't even know it, you know. Um, but the thing, the reason why I don't think I'm one of them is because, uh, yeah, my lifestyle's pretty good. I got a nice house and a nice car. Um, very manageable amount of debt. Uh, the people that are constantly borrowing and, you know, they can't pay their bills and all that, well, you know, either they're, you know, they've got mental problems or they're just not smart. Um, well, my my whole thing is is I, I'm a very simple, when it comes down to it, I'm a very simple individual. I don't. I don't have the rapid fire synapses that my wife has. Um, but what I do have is I have the ability to sit there. And I, and I was talking to somebody about this. It might have been you. I can't remember who it was. I was talking. I said, you know, there's something to be said. I said, it's a bit of a lost art, but there's something to be said about the man that just goes and sits on the, the, the park bench and just thinks. Or you know is is in a study and he's and he's uh, he's got his finger on his chin and he's thinking and and he he goes to a quiet place and he thinks and yeah. I said I I think a lot of people don't do that they don't actually think about scenarios and so what I like to do is while I'm working because you know in my particular skill or trade uh, I can go periods of hours without really having to interact with people sometimes. I used to have some jobs that I really could go a long period of time without interacting. And I could either listen to a book or a podcast or I could think and I would think and I would think and I would think. And um, my 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 wife, I don't think she does that too well. That's, and that's not a slight on her. She's very intelligent. But she doesn't think things through. But I can think about a problem for years before I make a decision on it. And I don't think a lot of people have that kind of patience, you know. But, you know, when it comes to real estate investing, man, I've, I've thought about that for five years before I actually was able to do something and, and pull the trigger. I, I I was, man, I made sure I knew I had a pretty good understanding and grasp of how that stuff works. And even after five years, you realize quickly that there's still so much more to know, you know. Yeah, no, but you're not just thinking. You're learning. You're listening to the people sure. that have done this. They're teaching you. You're processing that, trying to integrate it into your life. It's all that. Yeah, it, it, admittedly, it's something that I have to discipline myself to do. 
uh, it's not as hard as it used to be because I was so hungry. I would just learn, 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 learn. But more these days, you know, I, I have to shut it off, especially at the end of the day. And I have to process this stuff. And I, if, yep. if I'm going to integrate it in my own, and it takes a discipline, you know? Yeah, you're right. Um, I, I, have, I have to do the same exact thing. I can read these books, right? And I can feel it. I can feel it. There's a moment where the, the buffer of my mind and my comprehension run, runs over. And my, my brain is saying, hey, hey, bud, uh, I know this is really good, but I am, you might as well just be mumbling right now because I don't understand what we're reading. And I have yeah. to kind of turn, turn it off. And I'll put that book down, and people go, oh, so you go back to it later in the day. And I'm like, oh, no, not my brain. My brain will need three or four days to process. And then it's like, uh, it's like Matrix. It's like, excuse me, it's like Neo when he's in the Matrix. He's like, I know Kung Fu, right? So I don't know if you've ever seen the Matrix or not. But, yeah, uh, he, I did. Okay, okay. So he gets that downloaded into him, right? So I can, I can listen to something and think about it and listen to it. 15 years ago, but uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a new one coming out next month. Uh, well, I started li- watching the, <clears throat> the first one. You know, with with Jenny, and they have this party scene where you know it's like, oh, I'm like, well, I don't remember that, but it's like I couldn't really justify continue watching it because like, uh, it's like the big party and there's it's just not, you know, it wasn't great stuff. So it, it kind of looked like a rave. A rave? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like like it, th- about like thousands of people just kind of all like gyrating and dancing. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the third one. Partial, partial nudity or something. No, that, that was, was the third was the first one. one. No, no, that's you're, that's that's the that's the last one. Huh. Well, it's not in the first one. I would I would have thought the first one. Yeah, and then he's the office scene and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's the first one. Yeah, and then all he's in the office. Yeah. How did we get on the Matrix again? <laughs> Um, well, when oh, downloading he, the information, he, he yeah. downloads the information and then he understands, right? He understands how to fly a helicopter or SCS mm. Trinity. So I can read something and then my brain will kind of crunch it. It's like a, it's like a microprocessor, right? And then I'll kind of wake up one day and I'll be like, I understand now. <laughs> it's really weird how that works. It's just like, I, I, oh, now I understand. You know, but look, we're talking about thinking, right? And people are sitting there and actually thinking and processing. The average teenager, <clears throat> or I'll, I'll even go as far as the average adult all the way up to 30 years old, how much time do you think those people between the Facebook and Snapchats and the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Netflixes and the, the parties and the social yeah. events, no, how much time are they spending thinking? No, but it's not just thinking. It's like you have to have some things to think with, right? So uh, the problem is, is I had plenty of time in 2004 and five when I was in Afghanistan to think. I just didn't have much to think with, right? Because I hadn't read a whole lot of secular books at the time. All Why I did you have that much time to think or what was not? What was going well, on? You know, I was in Afghanistan and uh, we were in the towers and you were doing a 12 hour shift at first and then we, we ended up doing eight hour shifts. You didn't um, have like bullets flying at you all the time? No, not all the time. It was mostly boring. Um, but it was a nice vacation from college and it was Bible college. So all I had was that. And at the time, you know, I'm I'm trying to think about my future when it came to money and I'm trying to process but, you know, like I was 21, right? I didn't really, I didn't really hit my intelligence until 25, right? You so didn't like, even know, you didn't even know what you didn't know. Exactly. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing at the time, right? So I'm thinking about, all right, I've got all this money that's going to be pending, $27,000 as it turned out uh, when I came back from Afghanistan, all year long. I am thinking about how am I supposed to do this money? How, what am I supposed to do with this money? I'm like, it's not quite enough to go into real estate. I don't know how to put it into the stock market, but I ended up investing with the bank. It didn't dawn on me that maybe I should pick up a book on this subject and start reading about it. That's, 
that is really hard to get. So I spent a lot of time thinking, but I didn't have information to really think with, right, to digest. And I was so dumb, I didn't really, it really didn't dawn on me to read a book about it, right? It's, that's what's so frustrating. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, but I didn't have the information I needed to process and say, all right, you know, this sounds like this fits my what I need to know and or that and what and also it happened to be a time before we had you know Robin Hood and all this other stuff, but even then I mean, you really need to know what you're doing. I, I even if I had Robin Hood, I you know I didn't know like uh, when I came back from Afghanistan. When no actually years later when I came back from Afghanistan, I put my money in the, the bank. It went up, made $500. Then it came back down. I, I made nothing, but the bank made $500. I broke even over a year. And I, and I withdrew my money and I, I used it. I ended up uh, putting half of it because it was $10,000. I put a half of it with a real, a real estate guy who guaranteed like, I don't know, two and a half percent every quarter. So it was like a guaranteed 10% or more. It was ridiculous. You should never, if somebody guarantees you 10 or 15% or 20% a year, uh, be wait, wait a second. Wait yeah. a second. Doesn't Dave Ramsey talk about putting your money in a, a high growth uh, mutual fund that's going to br- uh, bring you, uh, earn, uh, resi- uh, what do they call that, return on of 12%? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the average. That's not guaranteed. Well, this was a, uh, he's still in business today. Uh, I don't think he's probably doing the same thing. And I didn't lose money. I, I made uh, off of, yeah, it was 10% a quarter, I think. Yeah. Because I made Wait, $500. you didn't lose any money? No, no, it was guaranteed. And, and if he, and he said, oh, we signed some papers. And uh, he said, if, if you can't, get the money or if some something goes wrong you have a certain claim to the properties now he did a lot of section 8 properties and stuff like that um and whatever but uh you know so he did that but about a year or so later that's when the, the 2008 uh thing happened well let's see i did that in 2005 6 around then um and then uh so anyway a while a while later this the real estate market collapsed and and he, but I only went one quarter and then I took my money back out. I think it was a quarter I made five hundred bucks on uh five thousand so and uh he he wanted to keep keep me there but uh you know I was like no, I need this money so i I still made five hundred and there it is that's the first half of our conversation next uh next podcast i think uh put uh, later on this week sometime and um you'll get the uh, second half of that conversation it's always interesting talking to jeremy keeler uh one of the things i'm going to do is have my wife go through this uh these podcasts and uh get more of an idea of what we talked about and that way i can put it more in a title and in the descriptions and stuff like that so Some of you listeners can discriminate, and uh, that's what I do. I mean, it's hard to really click on something that's an hour long and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to commit an hour and hope that they entertain me. So I totally understand we got to get the relevant uh, description in there and title, etc. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, Share this with uh, your friends and uh, post it on your Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, and uh, I will be... That'll encourage me to keep doing this and give me feedback. Most of all, personal feedback really uh, helps inspire me to continue doing this and prioritizing it. Okay, so you'll hear from me in the next episode. Bye.